The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Of the Christian life. And what's unique about each of these characteristics is they're not something that we really do ourselves. I mean, some of it is, but, but John uses language that's very much about uh, God doing this in us and through us. Uh, so that these become very much the fruit or evidence or result of our salvation. Right, so these are not things that we do in order to be saved. Uh, we were saved through Christ alone. But, but John says here that there should be some, some, some very clear characteristics or marks that are true of our life if we are in Christ, right? If we are following him. Uh, so first, first mark or characteristic that uh, is true of us, something God has done for us and is working in us, is that we are born into a new family, right? And just like being born into our physical family, that's not something we actually did, right? Something that just happened to us, right? Um, we are born into God's family, and it's something that God, God, it says, begets us. He gives us birth, as it were, right? So in verse 1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, right? We have been born of God, um, and, and this word belief is important here. He says, everyone who believes, and this is, this is the condition of salvation, right? God does it all, but the way we appropriate our salvation is by believing, right? And specifically, he says, believes that Jesus is the, is the Christ. And in that expression, he's describing everything that Jesus did as the, as the promised one to bring us salvation. Uh, so he kind of caps it in 1 John 4, 9, where he says, and this is the love of God, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We have life through Christ. That's what saves us. And we we believe in that. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Big long word that simply means he died as a sacrifice to appease God's just anger at our sin, at our rebellion against him. So this is our salvation. By believing in who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we are saved. Not by our good works, not by our own effort, but but really through the full, complete work of Christ on the cross and our faith in that. So everyone who believes, it says, is is born born new in him. We we are born of God. And... uh, John quotes Jesus, who gives us really the clearest teaching of this in John chapter 3. Remember when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and Jesus says, I say to you, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, thinking he's so smart, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus thinks he's being really funny. You know, you're, you're really bigger and crawl back in your mom's tummy and be born again. He thinks he's so funny, of course. And, and Jesus says, no, you moron. Well, he doesn't say that. He's nicer than that. But I would say, no, you moron. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Right? That's your, your physical birth. Right? That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
So the rebirth is not getting another body, starting over, going back to being a baby. It's getting spiritually born. Right? We are without a living spirit apart from Christ. And we are born spiritually. We are born again. We are born new. We have a new life on the inside, a new spirit that is alive with Christ. Before we were spiritually dead, but we were given new life. And that's what he's talking about. We are born of God. And so we are born into a new kind of relationship with God. Um, and, and this is important, right? We, we have always had a relationship with God whether we knew it or not, whether we admit it or not, but we, as his created beings, have always been in a relationship with God. But before we came to know Christ, we, we related to God as creator, and we as his creation. Right? Uh, but now we have a new kind of relationship with the God of the universe. And uh, again, John talks about it in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, that's Jesus who believed in his name, there's that key phrase again, he gave the right to become the children of God. Right? We are now God's children. We relate to him as a child to a father who were born not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but, but of God. We were born of God. So we now have this whole new crazy identity we were now a whole new kind of being who have spiritual birth, and we now relate to God as family, as, as, as a child to a, a, a parent. And, and I, I realize that for some of us, we may not have a, a great relationship with our earthly father, and so the idea of father kind of causes problems for us. But God is a perfect, loving father who cares deeply, deeply, deeply for his children, Right? And if, if you have a problem with, with your father, uh, I hope you have a better experience being a parent. Right? And maybe we can identify it if you are a parent. right? If not, um, adopt a child. Right? This is the greatest thing ever. Just go out there. They're out there. Just adopt a child. You can do that. I can help you. Right? Um, if you're old enough. If you're still in high school, wait. Right? Uh, but but uh, the, the whole experience of being a parent gives us a new vision of what it means to be in a parent-child relationship, right? We know how much we love our children and care for them and would do anything for them and, and that it's a, a unique relationship unlike any other in the world, right? We don't, we don't relate to God as an employer, right? Imagine checking into the clock. Oh, Sunday morning, got to check in, go into church time. You're right, got to clock in. <laughs> no, no, it's not, that's not what it's about, right? We clock out. Do I get overtime of church? If the pastor preaches too long, do I get overtime hours, right? That's not the relationship, right? We're not relating to him as a boss. Um, and he is, he is Lord, he is master, he is king. And there's a sense in which we do relate to God in these ways. But supremely, he's a king who's a father. He's a Lord and master who's also our father. And so that's the primary relationship with, that we have with him now. Um, he's family, Right? And what, what, what does it really mean to be family? Well, family means I didn't choose them, and maybe they didn't choose me, but I'm stuck with them. That's what family means, right? You know that cousin you just like to disown, that weird guy who just was always obnoxious, right? You can't just say, well, I just decided you're not going to be my cousin anymore, right? It doesn't work that way. Family is family. And, of course, God did choose us, 
And he, uh, Ephesians tells us, he has adopted us as sons, right? He begat us, he brought us into the family through Jesus. But once we are in the family, you know what? God can't get rid of you, right? That's the good news, right? And, and as a parent, be honest. Now, as a parent, if you're a parent, you have children, be honest. There are days when you're like, are you sure I can't get rid of them, right? There are those moments. There are those moments, right? But, but we know you can't, right? They're your child always, right? No matter how old, no matter how, no matter how difficult it is, right? It's family. And that's, that's, that's the relationship we have with God. We are family. And he will never, and not that he wants to, right? Not that he ever wants to. He never loses patience. His love is, is enduring. He puts up with you and I. And he, he never wants it to be different, right? He... Um, has made us, he has begot us as family through Christ. We are his children. What an amazing thing. And, and what's important to understand is this is a reality for us no matter how much we feel it or experience it. Right? Uh, we are his children if we believe in Christ. It's something that God has done. We have been begotten in him. So there may be days when we feel God's a million miles away. We may feel not very saved. We may feel not very much like his child. But that doesn't change the truth and reality that we are 100% his child. He has begotten us. We have spiritual birth in him simply because we believed in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Right Now, of course, uh, we, we want to grow in that, Right? We want to grow into that reality, right? And um, uh, so, so we are to be growing, uh, if, if this is true of us, the, the evidence or the things that we should see in our life is a growing love for God's family, which means not only the father, but also his children. Right? And he says, he says here, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. Right, so the thing that we should see growing in us is a love, care, concern, interest in the, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're not only now related to God in a new way as a father, but we're related to each other as his children. We are, we are family with each other. And so he says this should be one of the marks of our life is, a, is an ever-growing love for his people, for his children. And he says, look, you can't really love the father without loving his family. Right? If you really love and care for somebody, you, you will also love their children. Right? It's not like, well, I'm going to love him, but I'm going to love his children. Why would I do that? No, no. to love them is to love their children because they're together, they're family. And so he says that's the way it is for us. If we really love God the father, we, we, we love each other. Right? And there should be this growing love among the people in the body of Christ that characterizes us. Okay? Now, of course, um, I use the word growing because this is, this is not a magic switch that just gets flipped on and instantly we love people perfectly like God does. Right? And that instantly the Christian church and the Christian community is a place where people just are so in love with each other that it's, it just blows people away. That's how it should be. But uh, it, it doesn't happen that instantly. At least it hasn't in my life. And I've lived now quite a while, right? And I've, I've had to grow in this love for other people. And there's some days where I, where I do it way better than others. There's some days I don't do it very well at all, 
Right? So we need to be growing into this way of being, growing into this family life of loving each other. And uh, I'll be honest, you know, one of my jobs, in addition to being pastor here at CCF, is I'm the director of the Family Connection Foundation. And uh, one of the things that just causes me great pain and sorrow is watching our ministry teams fall apart, right? When there's conflict and there's strife and they don't get along. And sometimes they, it gets so bad they can't even work together. And I've seen whole projects fall apart completely. And people go home because they were unable to love each other as Christ loves. It's heartbreaking. And it should not be. Um, uh, and, you know, does that mean those people aren't really Christians? Um, well, you know, if perfect love had to be the mark of salvation, we would all be in trouble, right? If loving people all the time, 100% of the time perfectly was the mark of salvation, I would fail, right? But we should be growing in these things, right? We should be seeing progress. And as you think over your past life since you've come to Christ, has, has your heart to love people, especially within the body of Christ, grown? Or is it, is it unchanged? Right? Well, there should be a, a noticeable difference in the way that you love and think about and care for people in the body of Christ. There should be signs of... Uh, growing in this family love. Um, But it it may start as a small little flickering flame that we have to kind of blow on and and, and nurture until it becomes uh, a growing fire kindled into uh, a life that that has the the warmth of love and affection towards those around us. So that's the first thing uh, that should mark us, is this new family that we very much are engaged with and part of and loving. Uh, the father and his children. Second, though, we have a new motivation for life. Uh, We are to have a whole new motivation for what drives us and what causes us to live the way we live. And maybe before I get to the answer, I I could just ask you a question. What motivates you? What is your motive for life? What what is it that stirs you up to certain kinds of action? Um, Well, he says this, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Um, So we we have a new motivation to keep the commands, it says. Now, I want to say to start off with, this doesn't mean that people before we were Christians or other people who are not yet Christians who don't know him, that they don't want to do the right thing, right? Keeping the command simply means doing what's right as God's revealed it, right? Doing the right thing according to God's moral code. And this is not to say that people who are not Christians uh, have no moral code or standard or don't want to do the right thing. The truth is, a lot of people do. I, I would say probably the majority of people want to do the right thing. And oftentimes they do it quite well. And in fact, uh, I think one of the marks of Buddhism is that Buddhism makes people quite good in, in one sense, right? It makes them very moral. I, I love living in Thailand where uh, there's really not a lot of theft, 
right? People don't really steal much here. Now, it does happen, and maybe you've had, everybody's going to come up and, well, somebody stole something from me, right? Yeah, I know, I know. It's not, it's not that they never steal, but for the most part, most Thai people are, are very honest and won't steal. I remember one time I was riding my bicycle up Doicom, and, and my phone, I didn't realize it, but my phone had jiggled loose on my, 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 my bike and fell off. And I heard this clump, but I just thought I ran over something, you know, and I just kept plugging away. And I uh, rode up to the top of the mountain, went back down, got home, went to take the phone off my bike, and it was gone. And it's like, that was the clunk I heard, right? So I get in my car, I dash back up to where I knew I had heard that noise, and there's nothing there. Of course, there's nothing there. It's in the middle of the road, right? And so I think, oh, what am I going to do? So I tracked my phone, and I saw that my phone was not far from my house, actually. It had moved all by itself. And uh, so I called my phone, and this very kind Thai lady answers it. And she said, yeah, I found your phone. I have it. You can come and get it, right? I saved it for you. And she said, and there were some bad guys driving up behind me in a truck, and I think they were going to steal it, but I rescued it from them. <laughs> well, good for you, lady, fighting off all those bad guys, right? So... So, um, so people do uh, do good things. People keep the commands, right? People sometimes are very moral, right? So what changed is not that before we we were lawless, and now all of a sudden we we keep keep the rules. No, that's not that's not what changed. What changed is the reason we keep the rules, the reason, our motivation. Why is it we do the right thing, right? Um, uh, what is the difference? Well, he says that by this we know that we love the children of God. This is how we know that we're really like growing in this love for the family when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God. Or this, this you could word it, this is, this is how we know that, that we love God when we keep his commandments. Right? So, so here's the question. Why do... Why do we keep the rules, right? Why, why do we do what's right? Why do we do the good thing and try to love people? Well, he does not say we, we know we love the brothers when we really care about them and we really care about people and have compassion for those in need and those who hurt. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's not what he says here, right? He doesn't say, well, we love people because we know we're supposed to and so we're moved by this sense of duty or obligation. That's not what he says either, right? He says, well, uh, he does not say, well, we, we, we love people because we want to do the right thing to prove that I'm a good person and I'm a good Christian. He doesn't say that either, does he, right? He does not say so that I will have a good reputation, <laughs> right? Okay, those, those are not what he says. Now, some of those things are good. We should care. We should have compassion, some of them are probably not so good. I don't know that we should love only out of sense of duty or obligation. Certainly not, you know, if the only reason you do something is for your own reputation, then, then your motive is just to be selfish, right? Um, now, I'm not going to judge why other people do things, why lost people do things, but my, my, my suspicion is that oftentimes they keep the rules for the sake of their own reputation, right? They want to be perceived as a good person. They want to be respected by others as a good person who keeps the rules, who's a good citizen. Right? But that's not why we do it. He says what? He says we do it uh, because of the love of God. 
that is in us. Because we've experienced and know the love of God. And we want to love God back and we do it by keeping the rules, by being obedient, by keeping the commandments. Uh, so, so here's the motivation. We are, mo- we are motivated to do the right thing, to keep the commands, because of our great love for God. Right? We've experienced his love, and there's something about love that, that wants to be reciprocated. Big word that means we want to give it back, right? So we receive something we want to, we want to give it back. Uh, we see this in, in the life of a, a young child, right, who... Um, or, or even even in a classroom setting, right, where where uh, the child um, has good attachment, a good bond with the mom or with the teacher, and um, they they want to they want to give that love back, right? They they've re- they've received and experienced love, and there's something in them that stirs that wants to reciprocate that, that wants to give that love back, and they do it by wanting to please their mom or please the teacher, right? And, and that's really uh, what, what should motivate us, right? Why, why do you want your kids to obey you? I, I teach a lot of parenting classes to Thai people, and I always ask that question. Why do you want your parents, I mean, why do you want your children to obey you? Or why should your kids obey you? You know what the first, no matter the setting, you know what almost always the first answer is? Well, because they're afraid of me. <laughs> right? Well, they should obey me because they're afraid of me. Well, that could be one reason why uh, children obey their parents. But is that really what you want? And the problem with that is, well, what if you're not around and they know they can do it in secret and get away with it, right? There's not that fear of punishment. So are they going to obey you? Well, no, not if that's the only, not if that's the only motivation is I might get in trouble. That fear, right? Um, no, we really want our kids to obey us because... We want them to, to please us, right? As a, as a means of showing their love for us, um, that they, they want to do the right thing because they know it will make us happy, right? Because they want to please us. That's a, that's a good thing. That's the right response, right? Well, that's really what, what John's talking about here, right? Our motivation to keep the commandments should be our great love for God and wanting to do what pleases Him. And he's revealed in Scripture uh, what, what pleases him in, in the commands. And the commands line up with his own character and nature, right? Uh, he wants us to be honest because he's honest, right? He doesn't want us to steal. He wants us to be generous because he is generous. He doesn't take. He's a God who gives, right? And these are things that are deeply important to his heart. And so he wants us to do those things. And when we do those things, it's pleasing to him. Right? Um, I remember uh, experiencing this in a very powerful way when I was a teenager. And I uh, would go on these uh, backpack trips with this Bible camp, Camp Idrahaji, where I right, and it eventually worked. But I was just a camper. And I love these backpack trips because I love the mountains and I love being outdoors. But even part of it was, was the leader and he was this guy, his name was John, and he was uh, uh, kind of older. He, he, unlike a lot of the camp staff, he had actually seen a lot of life. And he had actually been a, a, in the Navy for 10 years, and during most of that time he was in Vietnam. And so he was a, a combat veteran who had seen horrible things and experienced horrible things. But because he was a sailor, he was an awesome storyteller. 
And he would tell us stories about all this stuff that he experienced, right? And so for me, this guy was just bigger than life, right? And he was tough, and he was strong, and he had, you know, he'd, he'd blown things up. Like, how can you not like a guy who's blown stuff up, like with, like with big bombs? It was just, I, I, I really admired this guy. But uh, actually, I was kind of just in awe of him. But more than that, he really took an interest in me. And I went on several of these trips, so I got to know him over the period of a couple different summers. And, and, uh, and he, he, he clearly invested in me. And he affirmed me. And he remembered me. And he, he saw potential in me. And he would take the time to, to mentor me and to encourage me. And in, in many ways, he, you know, he loved me as, as, a, as a high school student, right? And uh, I didn't have a real father figure in my life at the time um, like him, right? So, so I was drawn to this guy, and, and his interest uh, just impacted me greatly. And so I, I loved him, right? I, I reciprocated that. I wanted to return that love, right? So I remember one time we were on a trip out in the middle of the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere, and... Um, uh, he had shared one night uh, the Bible story of, of, of King David's men when they snuck into the enemy camp of Saul and got a cup of water and brought it back to David. you remember that story? Well, he had told that story and about how loyalty and love, I, mean, you know, I don't remember how he applied it. But the next day, a friend and I were hiking and climbing a, a big mountain, a 14,000-foot peak, and we get up on top of this mountain. On, on the opposite side of us, there was a road that actually came up to the top which was really unfair because we worked really hard to get up there. And there was all these tourists up there who just drove up in their car. And I thought, that's just not fair. But on top of this was this little restaurant. And inside that restaurant, they had, they had donuts. Now, I forgot to mention one thing about John. He's a great guy. I admired him greatly. But there was one flaw. And that was that he starved us to death. Like, he never brought enough food on these trips, Right. And we would imagine eating all kinds of, like, dirt and rocks. We were so hungry on these trips, right? So we get up on top of this uh, mountain, and there's this restaurant, and there's food. And we're scrounging through our pockets trying to, I mean, we're we're backpacking. We're not planning to go to seven, right? And so we scrounge and get some coins, and we, we have enough change between us to buy one donut, right? One donut, right? Well, so we buy this donut, and, and we remember the story of, David's faithful men who snuck into the enemy camp and brought back the cup of water. And we're like, we love this, we love John. We're going to take him back this donut, right? Now, this was a sacrifice because we were starving. And I can't tell you how hard it was to not eat that donut. But, but see, we, we wanted to do what would be pleasing to him. We wanted to do something that would bless him, right? So we took that donut back to him. And we, we were motivated, not because we wanted to prove how great we were, because we wanted to sacrifice something. We were motivated to do that by our, our love and affection for this guy. Right? Well, well, that's really what John's saying here. He's saying we should, we should be motivated to do the right thing out of our great love for God because we've experienced his love in our life. And we want to please him. We want to please him. And that is so very, very different than the moralism of the world that wants to do the right thing so that we can be perceived as a good person, so that we can be like the elder brother 
in the story of the prodigal son. Look what I've done. Look at how hard working. Look, look at how self-righteous I am. Right? That's not the motivation. Right? We do it because we want to please God. We want to do what makes him happy. Right? And it's interesting that also, uh, I think this is worth saying, that, that love is by commandment. Right? We're very confused in our, at least in the West, you know, we use this word for a lot of things I said last week, and a lot of times we think of love in terms of its emotion. Like love, and love is affection, right? There's a part of love which is a feeling something for someone. But that's become so dominant in, in, in many Western settings that we think that's all that love is. Love is simply feeling good, feeling warm fuzzies towards you. And so when, when, Jesus, when, when, Paul, when John, whoever we're talking about here, John says the body of Christ should love each other, it just means we all, like we just feel warm fuzzies towards each other. But that's not really what he's talking about. He says, no, we love by commandment. And commandment is doing things, not feeling anything. And, you know, you, you know the debate, can you love somebody you don't like, right? And it goes back and forth. Well, the, well, if you believe love is primarily an affection and a feeling, then no, you can't love somebody you don't like. You have to like them in order to love them. But if love is a commandment to act toward that person for their good and their benefit, then yes, absolutely, you can love people you don't like. In fact, we are commanded to love our enemies. And that doesn't mean we have to feel good about them. right? It doesn't mean we have to like those who have hurt us. But it does mean we can make choices to act toward them in ways that is for their good and their benefit. Right? So, so we see two, two famous passages on love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Uh, now, patient is not a feeling. Well, patience is a feeling I don't like. Like, like patience drives me crazy. But patient means I'm, I am patient with people who drive me crazy. Right? who I would rather just strangle, but I don't actually strangle them. I am patient with them, right? I am patient. I am, he says, love is patient and kind. Oh, I have to be, also be nice to them? Yes, right? And you can be kind to people that you really don't feel real great about at a moment. But you can, you can be kind toward them. You can be generous toward them. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not puffed up with pride. It does not insist on getting its own way. See, that's doing something. Well, it's actually not doing something, right? It's not demanding I get my rights and my way. But it is laying aside my rights and laying those down and serving others, right? It is not irritable or resentful. Those are feelings, by the way. Um, uh, so it's there. There are feelings are part of it. Uh, love bears all things. Love endures all things. Right? So those are those are actions. But even more so, uh, the other famous passage that really talks about this is Galatians 5:22 and 23. The fruit of the spirit. Um, the fruit of the spirit, which is singular. There's one fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love. And a lot of commentators believe that the, the rest of that passage is describing. What, what this love is like, right? So it's a love that is patient, a love that is joyful, a love that is peace-seeking, a love that is kind, that is good, that is faithful, a love that is gentle, a love that knows how to have self-control, right? Uh, and he says, against such things there is no law, right? So, so, so this is the command, right? This is... 
the ultimate command to love like this. Right? So it's more than just feelings. It's, it's taking these actions towards other people. It's actually being patient, actually doing kind things, actually hoping and helping work towards the goodness of another person, uh, of actually being gentle and having self-control toward those around us, and, and even more so in the body of Christ. Um, so again, uh, what's important to hear is to see that, that this is a work that God produces in us as a result of his love for us. Because of God's great love for us as we experience that, uh, what should happen in us if we're truly believers is that our motivation is changed and now we want to love God back and we, we, we do that by wanting desperately to please him. We are motivated to do these right things because we know it honors him and it delights him and it brings him joy. And so we want these things in our life not because it makes me look good, but because I want to do what's right before God to please him. Um, third thing, the, the third marker characteristic that we should see is a new power to defeat sin. A new power over sin to defeat it. He says in verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. This idea of overcoming means to defeat something, to conquer it, uh, to achieve success, specifically in this realm of love and obedience. So we don't overcome the world by meaning that, you know, we, we run for president and we win, <laughs> okay, or that we get to take control of the world. No. The world is a system under Satan's dominion, temporarily. Uh, it's it's uh, thoughts and, and values that belong to him. But we... Uh, are in combat, we are in a spiritual conflict, right? It's, it's the language of, of battle. And we are in the spiritual conflict. And so overcoming means not being controlled by Satan and his values. It means overcoming those values and instead of doing things the way the world does, we do the way God does. We are obedient to his commands. Um, and John said earlier in, in chapter 2, uh, he talks about these values of the world. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the way of the world is, 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 is selfish, selfish, selfish. It is full of pride, it is greedy, and it is independent. But that's the way of the world. Um, so, so what it's talking about here is a way of relating to people that is ultimately not loving. Right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and then this pride of life. So, so this is how the world relates to people in general. Right? In general. And, and I should say that this, this system is hard for us because it really connects with our human nature. We, we in our nature like this. So, for example, we see people, the world tends to see people as obstacles to my happiness. Like, I would be happy if my boss wasn't the way he is. Right? And so, the way of the world is to get rid of those people. We murder them, or we uh, get them fired, or we protest against them. Right? We get rid of them. Uh, we don't love them. Right? Um, or, or, people can be a means to my happiness. Like, like those people could actually make me happy if they do the right thing. So we use people. Right? We use them. 
We manipulate, we control, we do what we need to, to, to get what we want from them. Or, um, those people have what I need to be happy, so we take from them. All right? Love gives, but the world says, no, you take. Take, take from people. You have a right to it, right? Um, we may think that people are preventing me from being happy, so I have the right to be angry at them or to hate them. Um, sometimes we, we recognize that we need people's praise, love, and generosity to feed my ego and my, my flesh, right? So we please people in order to get, get from them the praise or admiration we want. We become people pleasers, right? Again, it's a kind of using people. Uh, instead of loving God and living to please Him. We, we, we realize sometimes that we need their cooperation to get my own way. So we, we connive to control people. Right? That's the world's way. Controlling, uh, manipulating, pleasing, uh, using, taking. Right? Uh, and, and no matter how much we don't like it, when people treat us this way, right? We don't like it. It's amazing how easily we do this, right? Uh, it is our human nature, and it resonates deeply with this way of being. It is, it is like an ugly old worn-out T-shirt. You got that T-shirt; it's full of holes. It's ugly. It's faded. It's falling apart. Your wife or your husband keeps telling you to throw it away, but you love it, and you want to wear it. Why? Because it's comfortable, right? And that's the way it is with sin in the world. The, the system of the world is old, ugly, it needs to be thrown away, but we put it on all, all the time. Why? Because it's comfortable. We like it. Right? Um, but he says, those who have been born again overcome the world. Right? They are overcomers. And what that means is the power of the cross is at work in us and gives us the power to rip off that old t-shirt and throw it away and be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Right? Um, and more than that, uh, the, the world and the way of the world actually holds us captive. It is a bondage. Right? The sins that our flesh are attracted to, the, the desires of the flesh, become like chains that hold us, and we cannot break free on our own. But the good news is that that the power of the cross, Jesus died to forgive sin, but also to break its power over us. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says this, For if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Right? That's amazing. And there's a lot of things in there I don't understand what it means to identify with Christ in his death, how we were crucified with him. That's a whole other sermon. It's a truth and it's a reality. And the consequence of that is that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Right? Its power is broken. And so those chains fall off of us. And we now have the power to to rip off that old t-shirt and put on the righteousness of Christ. But again, this is something we have to grow in. That's a work that's fully accomplished on the cross. There's nothing more Jesus can do to break the power. It's broken. 
100%. Right? But what we need to do is grow into this new reality that we now have power over those things that used to control us. And even though we like them and oftentimes they're quite comfortable for us, that you know, we've got this new motivation to, to please God and we know those things do not please him and so we want to cast those things out of our life. Right? But again, it's a growing thing. It is not instant or total victory. John reminded us in 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if, or you could say when, anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? Yes, we will fail at this. Right? Yes, we will go back to our old ways. But we should be growing with a sense of greater victory uh, over sin. Right? We should be seeing the defeat of these things in our life so that they have less and less power and less and less effect on us, so that we are walking more and more in righteousness and holy and holiness and purity. It's amazing. Jesus uh, has accomplished this for us. Right? We have been set free from those things that used to hold us in bondage. Um, so does that mean if you're struggling with sin, maybe you're not saved? Well, it could, right? It could. John says... If you're, if you're constantly being defeated by sin, that's a sign that maybe you know, the power of God is not in you. But it could also mean that actually that is a sign of sin. Because here's the thing. Before we got saved, oftentimes there was no struggle at all. <laughs> we just sinned, right? There was no struggle. Uh, we just caved in, right? The struggle might be evidence that, yes, I want to do the right thing. And there's a, my new life in the Spirit wants to walk this way, but my old nature of my flesh wants to walk the other way and there is a battle and there's a war and it's daily it's daily but we should see uh, the spirit gaining victory right? gaining control um, so those are the three things that should be marks of our life uh, born in a new family where we see a, a growing love for God's children and, and for God himself a new motivation where we have been so impacted by God's love for us that we are now motivated to live a holy and godly life because of our great love for him, because we want to please him. And thirdly, uh, we are overcoming, we are de- defeating sin in our life. We are not being controlled by it like we used to be. Right? Uh, so it's all great to say that, but we all know that um, this may not be completely true in our life, Right? And even though God has accomplished the means for it, uh, what do we do to walk more in that, to grow more in that? Well, John gives us the answer in the the last two verses, in the end of verse 4 and 5. He says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Uh, Who is it that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So here's the thing. God has accomplished all this for us through Christ, through the, through the power of the cross, through his death. Um, but we need to walk in it more. And we walk in it more. We, we exercise these realities and, and, and draw on their power through faith. Right? Through faith. It's kind of like plugging into that wall socket. 
You know, inside that wall is a wire carrying 220 volts of electricity, enough to knock you off your feet if you touch it, right? And it can do cool things. It can turn on lights and it can run computers and uh, it can run a power washer and I can spray off my truck. It's the coolest thing, right? But of course, it doesn't do any good until you plug in, right? And faith is plugging into the work that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We do that by faith. Uh, Faith is simply the bold confidence and assurance that something is true and relying on it for myself personally. Let me say that again. Faith has two parts. One is what we know and the other is what we apply. The first thing we know, we have confidence and assurance that something is true and we, we rely on it for my own life. I commit myself to it in some way. So for example... I can believe that airplanes can and will fly. Okay, I believe that. But I'm not really trusting in an airplane until I actually walk down that long tunnel and go through the door and get inside the airplane. And I, at that moment, I have committed my life to that airplane. If it flies, I live. If it falls out of the sky, poof, end of game over, right? I'm committing myself full on to that, that, that vehicle and to the pilot's and to the ground crew that just worked on the engine, and to the guy that supposedly put fuel in the plane, right? I'm trusting. I'm committing myself, right? Faith is both of those things. It is believing facts and truth about God and what he accomplished through Christ on the cross, but it is also committing myself to those things. It's putting my life in, in, in the reality of those things, right? So faith, real quick, faith requires three things. First, it requires commitment, Faith is committing my life to the promises of God in his word. That Jesus loved me, he died for me, that his death is sufficient, it's enough to pay the penalty for my sin and to make me God's child. I commit myself to those truths. I know them, I understand them, and I commit myself to those truths. Secondly, faith is dependence. Faith by nature is trusting something else, something or someone else, or something else, Right, uh, outside of me. It means I can't do it on my own. Right, uh, the enemy of faith is independence. I can do this myself. Right, no faith is relying on, on God and the, the work of Christ. Right, so I commit those, myself to those things, and I'm relying on those things. I'm relying on His promises. I'm relying on the power of the cross to defeat sin in my life. Thirdly, faith requires humility. Uh, the humility of admitting I need help and I cannot overcome these problems, my sin, uh, the world in my own strength or by my own ability or with my own wisdom. Right? Right? Faith is those three. The commitment, committing myself fully to God and his promises. It's depending on him, relying on his help. And it is the humility to admit I can't do it on my own. I'm desperate in, desperately in need of his help. Um, we don't have time, but just let me go through as we close uh, what we believe in. First, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, that means, as it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It means believing that Jesus is eternal God, who's existed with the Father from before eternity, before the world was created. Secondly, Uh, believing that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. 
Right? We believe that Jesus took on human flesh. And he did that uh, to live a perfect and sinless life and to go to the cross and to there suffer a horrible death in my place. Right? We need to believe that. He says, whoever believes that, he is the, that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? Second thing, uh, through that, uh, we believe that this is proof that God loves me. Right? Proof that God loves me. Remember, uh, the way we change our motivations by loving God, the way we love God is because he first loved us. And we know that God loved us because he sent his only son to die for us. Right? And as we, as we believe in that reality, uh, our love grows, and that, that moves us to grow in that direction. Thirdly, uh, we believe that there really is abundant power in the cross and in Christ, right? That his, his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. It did break the power of sin. And now I have access to that power. And it enables me to live a very different kind of life, right? right? These are the promises to those who, who say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe he came to die for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much that you are the living Son of God who came, who gave up your life, who died on the cross, and then who rose again from the dead to prove that you had uh, conquered sin and death, that you had conquered the world, and that the cross was sufficient to overcome. Lord, we praise you and we love you and we want to follow you. And Lord, we, we, we admit and confess that um, these marks of, our, of a Christian life, of, of our love for you, of our love for each other, um, of a commitment to walk in holiness and to be obedient, we, we admit that sometimes these things are not as true in us as they should be. Um, Lord, we praise you where we've seen success where we've seen growth. But Lord, help us to not be content with uh, the growth that we have so far, but to keep um, pressing on into faith. And Lord, faith is the victory. So Lord, we ask and pray that you would give us greater faith, a greater confidence and conviction in who you are and who Jesus is and what, what, what Jesus has done for us, that we may grow in these, in these areas that we may be people who are marked as truly different people, truly people who are your children. Lord, help us, we pray, and help us believe and trust you more, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.com dot o r g